The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Serious Fun on the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network. I am your host and the perennial last pick at recess, Dr. Brian Carr. Serious Fun is a look at popular culture and our relationship to it with the creators, academics, and fans that make pop culture what it is. This week we are taking a bit of a different approach, what with the World Series matchup between the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros. Eminent in just a few days as of this recording. It seemed like as good a time as any to talk to a few of my colleagues down the hall in the psychology department. With me today is Dr. Jana Fogasa and uh, Dr. Alan Chu. They are both part of the psychology department, uh, the faculty behind UWGB's new sports psychology master's program, and they also teach courses in that area as well for undergrad, correct? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't yet, but um, I'll be teaching master's level courses in sports psych, but now I teach physio and research method for right now. Okay. Yep. Um, so you're both very well versed in this area. They're here to talk about the role that the mind plays in sports for players, coaches, and fans. So both of you, welcome to Serious Fun. It's good to have you here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. I'm excited. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started with kind of uh, the, the, the question I always like to ask the folks who come on this show is uh, to tell me a little bit about yourselves, kind of what got you into this area, um, what are your per- personal, professional interests, that kind of thing. So uh, what kind of research do you do in the area, the field of sports psychology? What have you found? What drew you to doing this? Whoever wants to go first. Well, I can go first. Um, so... I'm Dr. Alan Chu. I'm actually originally from Hong Kong, China, um, Mm -hmm. where I grew up playing sports. I was born and raised there. I play many different sports, uh, but table tennis is my main sport. Mm -hmm. Um, So at that time, I was in high school. I was really into table tennis, and I tried to practice a lot, um, trying to make to the junior national team. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, I didn't get picked uh, mm-hmm. on the junior national team. So my motivation dropped. Um, I didn't practice as much. And I also experienced a little bit of anxiety mm-hmm. in tournaments just because I would be losing more than I, I would have um, before that. So mm-hmm. I realized the psychological factors really influence my performance. Um, so after I finished high school, I went to college. I eventually made it to the collegiate team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I studied psychology and just realize more and more how important psychological factors, uh, but also the social environment Mm -hmm. play a role in my performance. Mm -hmm. Because in my college team, we have a really, really great um, team atmosphere that helped me with my performance. Mm -hmm. So basically, long story short, um, those athletic experiences in high school and college Mm -hmm. really um, drew me into sports psychology. Uh, At that time, there was not a sports psychology course Mm -hmm. um, in Hong Kong. So I ended up... uh, doing an exchange program studying abroad at San Diego State. Mm-hmm. So that was the very first time I was in the, um, in the U.S. And then I took a sport and exercise psychology course. I really like it. And I continue on, apply to grad school here. And here I am, you know, I've been here for eight years doing sports psych. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my research is mostly on motivation. As you heard, motivation really influenced me a lot personally. Um, so I started doing research about motivation since I was undergrad, actually. And then now I'm particularly interested in how coaches, parents, and teammates, they influence high school athletes' motivation a little bit differently. Uh, and then another area I'm interested in also is psychological skills. So how athletes use um, their psychological skills such as concentration, um, confidence, how they cope with those situations. So mm-hmm. that's my second area of interest. Okay. So a lot of it was just kind of personally driven. Like I wanted to find out more about like why, I, what happened to me and so I, and how I can kind of help others going through the same thing. Exactly. It, it did start with my personal journey and yeah. then, um, and then studying more about the knowledge and theory and then digging deeper and deeper. Um, so it's more like my professional identity now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jean, what about you? 
So I actually, I used to play volleyball uh, when I was in high school and it was like, you know, people were very serious about volleyball in Brazil. It's like the second biggest sport. Uh, and uh, so basically, um, during you know during that time when I was playing I was not super aware of sports psychology at all mm -hmm. I was just playing and you know I did have you know the ups and downs uh, in terms of like psychological aspects of performance but I never thought much about it I didn't even know sports psychology was a thing um, and then when I went I went I went to undergrad in psych and then I. I realized that, wow, that's something that exists. Uh, so uh, I uh, started to uh, be part of a study group that was led by a sports psychologist in town. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. I was like, oh my God, I can't understand so many things now, you know, looking back into the time that I was like performing at a higher level and, you know, what I was learning in terms of uh, theories. And I thought it was like fascinating. So I went to a conference and I started to get to learn more about it. Um, we, I also didn't have access to a specific course in sports psychology, uh, but the psychology undergrad degree in Brazil is different. So mm -hmm. you actually, it's, it's just psychology, it's five years. And um, so you, you're basically being trained to be a psychologist mm -hmm. in undergrad. Um, and uh, so we have to do a lot of internships. We have to get a so lot of hours. So there's not like a doctoral program then necessarily, or, so, like, or, or, or is, is, it's laid out differently. Yeah, so there are doctoral programs, but they're very focused on research. Mm -hmm. To be a, you know, a clinical or you know, do counseling psychology, you just need undergrad. Mm. Um, and I would say that's equivalent to having like an undergrad and a master's in mm -hmm. US because um, we don't do general education. Mm -hmm. We just do a lot of um, psych courses and it's, you know, five years. We have a lot of internships. So I did um, some internships with uh, teams. So I, I worked with uh, volleyball teams and then I did um, the first club I worked with. They had various youth sports. And then um, I also worked with with one of the major um, soccer teams, but with their youth teams. Um, so basically in Brazil, um, it will be as if like the Packers had youth football mm -hmm. teams. So I, I work with, with their youth teams. Um, and I got really excited about it. And the reason that I went abroad is just because I was so interested in the applied portion of it, or, mm -hmm. you know, working with athletes. And in Brazil, you know, masters and PhDs, they're focused more on research. Um, so I wanted to do both. I wanted to do research, but also, you know, work with um, athletes. Um, and, and then kind of, so my problem, you know, research wise is that I'm interested in everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, but because we have such a young profession, um, one of my focus uh, in research is to look into how to help, uh, uh sports psychologists to develop better, especially how to supervise, um, uh, people who are learning how to work with athletes. So I do some research on supervision, but I also have, uh, because of my background with uh, mental health, I also have an interest in uh, researching mental health related mm -hmm. um, um, aspects of, or, or mental health aspects of um, athletes. Um, and then, and then, you know, I, I'm dabbling a little, I'm starting a, a project uh, with uh, teaching those skills to kids through sports, not, not for the sake of competition, but mm -hmm. just teaching those mental skills so they can use in other aspects of their lives now. So, yeah, so I get a little scared sometimes, but I just I just really like different things sure. and I end up starting them. Now, now, you mentioned that this is a young profession, um, that sports psychology hasn't been around for that long. About how long are we talking in terms of uh, being an operational field? Well, morning practice is like, so the the like organized practice is more like end of the 80s mm. that they started to like okay let's see like what it takes to be competent to actually work uh with teams before there a couple of people is started actually with baseball you know the mm -hmm. first guy you know who started to work with applied sports psychology uh he was working with a baseball team um and then, uh, but then it took a while for people to be like, okay, this should be an organized profession. Let's, you know, get this going. And, mm -hmm. and there were some associations before that, but like the Association for Applied Sports Psychology only started to organize like actual, okay, let's see, you know, credentials for people to work with that. Mm -hmm. It was already the 80s. So, mm -hmm. um, so we we're still working on that. <laughs> yeah, something interesting about the history of sports psychology is that it actually started in at the lab so they had 
a lot of studies at the lab, I think in the early um, 20th century uh, mm -hmm. at that time. But then, like Jenna said, the applied field didn't really start growing until in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, the international organization started a little earlier, in the, I believe in the 50s or 60s, but the one in the U.S. didn't start it until um, in the early 80s. Yeah, so now the official organization is Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and we call it ASP. So AASP, we call it ASP. That's okay. the association that both me and Jenna are affiliated with. So we are both certified mental, consult mental performance consultants. So CMPC in short, and uh, we we actually heading to the conference in a couple of days in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, oh. next week. Yeah. All right, caught you just before you left. Then nice. Right. Um, so let's because uh, we're talking about the difference between like applied sports psychology and more like kind of like a, a theoretical sports psychology. Um, and and I, th I think this kind of needs uh, needs uh, us to ask the big question, which is. What exactly is sports psychology, mm -hmm. right? So I can look at this, and, and I've talked enough to both of you where I kind of have a feel for what this is about. But for the folks out there who are listening, who are like, is this just, like, what exactly does this entail? What is the difference between sort of theoretical and applied sports psychology? Um, how would you describe it in a nutshell to somebody who's like, you know, say I'm sending my kid off to college and I find out there's a sports psychology program. I want to know what that is. What would you tell me? So sports psychology... Um Look, basically, you know, people may may not, you know, agree completely with my definition, but I think we're basically using all um, these concepts we know from psychology and helping, um, you know, adapt them to to improve performance, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and of course, we're borrowing some things from psych in general, but also borrowing some learning from um, sports sciences about motor learning and, and uh, you know, different things we know of how you acquire skills and so on. So we kind of mix a little bit of, you know, sports sciences and psychology and just, you know, comes with uh, some uniqueness for the field, right? Because we have a mix of people with background in psychology, background in sports sciences. But basically, um, you know, in practice, like if you're going to work with an athlete, what we're doing is to help them, you know, learn better their sport if they're beginning uh, or improve their performance um, if they're, you know, already um experience but we're focusing on those psychological aspects uh, so you know for example alan mentioned before that he was uh sometimes you you know feel anxious or you know he struggled at, depending on the time of his career he struggled a little with motivation so a sports psychology consultant will work you know with him and say okay like we have these different strategies that you can use maybe you know deep breathing or you know mindfulness um, strategies that can help you um, manage better your anxiety and you know it's not like you're not going to be anxious at all like you know you're competing and it's a it's part of it but at least you can manage better you can you know uh, perform well um, because you have a better idea of how, how to to deal with those factors that are more psychological yeah, and to add on that you know applying psychological principle uh, me and Jenna work with um, the mental performance part of sport but then there's another piece that um, some other more clinical or counseling uh, psychologists we work with more is the mental health aspect of it mm -hmm. so in the athletic population that tend to be especially in female that tend to be a little bit more uh, maybe eating disorders uh, sometimes there could be some um, depression anxiety also going on with uh, athletes life that clinical and counseling psychologists will work with more so me and Jenna mostly work with the performance side maybe we can handle some mild stress but mm -hmm. let's say if athletes come in uh, see us and they tell us they have really really um, serious depression then we will need to refer out to some uh, other more clinical trained sports mm -hmm. psychologists to work with them so that's the performance piece, but also the mental health piece as well. Well, and that's interesting because um, you know, that you mentioned that, and also Johnny mentioned about mindfulness. I feel like this is beyond because we think about like athletic training. You think about okay, we have to do the physical conditioning, you know, do the wind sprints, do the you know the stretching, and and, and that kind of stuff. But it feels like there is a big part, uh, and obviously I know you two are going to be kind of biased in this direction, but it kind of feels like there is a big part that we do leave out where that is like the actual mental health of the athlete, mm -hmm. right? Um, not just in terms of are we actually conditioning them to be successful at a high level, but also are they okay as a person? Yeah, yeah, and I think this is a really great point because everything that has the word psychology <laughs> has a, a little bit of a stigma of like, okay, you're having diffi psychological difficulties, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of the sports psychology work is uh, more 
preventative, right? Mm -hmm. So we're teaching you the skills. Like if you know how to be more mindful when, you know, you're using your, you know, breathing techniques regularly, you know, maybe to sleep better, you're preventing having not only, you know, performance issues, but also mental health issues mm -hmm. is a lot of the same things you're going to do in counseling um, with people, you know, with uh, various uh, mental health uh, disorders. So uh, basically we're teaching, you know, skills that are helpful for your well-being and in your performance. And so I would say that most people will think of a sports psychology uh, consultant as uh, someone who does like the, let's say if, if you do an analogy of the physical part, they're going to think we're the athletic trainer trainers uh, that focus a little bit more on like, oh, you're injured now, let's fix you. Mm -hmm. But actually most of the work we do is more of the strength and conditioning. So let's make you strong so you don't get injured. Right. Right. So if you, if you're already like, you know, learning all this uh, mental skills, like, you know, or psychological skills, um, you, you learn like, okay, I'm, how to be more mindful, how to manage your, you know, set goals, man manage your motivation and have more of a growth mindset. So mm -hmm. this is going to help prevent you to get the problems in the first place. Yeah, right. I think you're absolutely right, you know, about, you know, whether you're okay as a person, it's mm -hmm. not just about performance. Mm -hmm. And actually, like to athlete, really any issue is a performance issue. Now think about if you don't sleep well, you don't eat well, um, you're not physically feeling well, you probably don't perform well, right? Mm -hmm. Same for psychological. If you have stress, um, you are not able to handle your anxiety, mm -hmm. you are not able to handle um, things that are going on in your life, you know, it's a performance issue. Like as sports psychology professional, we understand that, but a lot of time uh, we are still trying our best to educate coaches and some mm -hmm. other professionals to understand um, as athletes, they are also human beings, you know, everybody right. has some stress. It's not um, easy, you know, to just ask them to tough it out and then they can mm -hmm. do well, but it requires some training, some mm -hmm. psychological skills um, through, like Jenna said, conditioning and strengthening and conditioning for them mm -hmm. to get more psychologically strong to handle those issues when issue happens. Yeah, and, and I think about this from the perspective of the fan, right? where you see these players out there and they're these larger than life people, they're getting paid millions of dollars to play these games. Um, and you know, when you're a fan, you watch your, you watch somebody like choke in the bottom of the ninth, or you watch somebody, you know, fumble a football and you're like, ah, oh, you bummed, like you did this terrible thing. But you know, we don't think about the sort of impact that has on people, right? We don't see the, the athlete as a human <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. Right. Yes. And, and, and I wonder if there is this almost kind of like dehumanizing thing that happens, uh, especially at the, the, the higher and higher levels of sports, right? Even in, in like the collegiate level, you get this feeling where we're all, well, this is basically the minor leagues for the pros, right? Like mm -hmm. college ball is minor league pro football at this point, arguably. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're, we're kind of forgetting, I think, that the human cost and, and almost the educational activity a little bit. And we're going to get to that question, I think, a little bit later on. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like that's uh, And so sports psychology, to me, from what you're describing, kind of sounds like a way to sort of reclaim that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think... Um yeah, it helps like raise awareness of look. Okay, the performance of these people is related to well-being, so you you may want to consider, mm -hmm. you know, their well-being a little bit better. Um, and and I think um, um, what you're saying about like dehumanizing, I think it's very on point. I think. Uh, uh, I I I have like this <laughs> excessive empathy, I guess, for athletes, just because I guess my background and just like my profession. Mm -hmm. But I'm always like, oh my god, that kind of you know sucks. But I try not to judge so much, even if it's like a team I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, but then sometimes people are like, oh, whatever, they're making millions. Like, you know, it's mm -hmm. my right to complain and say something. So it's kind of like as if athletes were assets so yeah, yeah. that you have because you're paying so much. Well, you well, think about like they, we're trading players and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? They're a commodity, not a person. Yes, yes. And they are treated as a commodity, you know, in the from an economical standpoint for mm -hmm. the team too, right? So, yeah, so basically they're seeing like that. Right, yeah, I think most fans, you know, think that they should handle everything, you know, they should not have any problem, you know, they are mm -hmm. basically like the heroes of the... Yeah of the team, you know, and I think that really added pressure to them, you know, and it's hard for them to be vulnerable, you know, thinking about, for example, Michael Phipps, you know, before mm -hmm. uh, last Olympics, you know, he had some substance use issue and a little bit of depression, and it took him some time to be able to 
and meet and tell the public mm-hmm. about it. Um, I think you know, having some of those role models has helped a little bit you know, to help the fans, help the public understand mm-hmm. They are actually still human beings, no matter how successful they are. Yeah, and with Phelps especially, there's almost this kind of superhuman aspect to him, right? And having him be open about that, I was just surprising. You don't see people, especially active athletes, because he was Mm -hmm. speaking pretty openly about this while he was still active. You'll see, like, retired athletes come back and talk about, like, the toll that it took on their bodies, their spirit, um, you know, in some cases their mental health and that kind of thing. But to see Phelps actually come out and say that was a really kind of a surprising thing in retrospect. Yeah, this yeah. is. Um, all right, so you're both pretty well known around here for playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you both uh, have uh, sort of areas of expertise uh, in terms of uh, your athletic abilities. What particular sports do you play, and how has your study in this field helped you in that regard? And I guess I'll, Alan will kick it over to you first because I I know for a fact, like you are, and you've mentioned this at the top, but you are still very active in your sport. That's right. Yeah, I'm still playing table tennis fairly regularly. I still compete. Um, actually, last year uh, I play. American North America team championship. So mm-hmm. I, me and my team actually won our division. And then this year I played the Wisconsin State Championship. I took second mm-hmm. in the championship. So I'm still fairly active. Um, although table tennis is not my only sport. Uh, actually, I grew up playing everything. I just mm-hmm. love trying out different things. Uh, I also play in high school. I was on five sport teams. I also played badminton. Uh, I played soccer. I play basketball. I also ran track. Oh. So I have many, many different interests. I play some intramural volleyball as well, although I'm <laughs> probably just like going to beat me really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. right. yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to the point about sports psychology, mm-hmm. it did help me quite a bit because I think after I finished college, I didn't really train that much physically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, did, I have been playing, but I think my psychological skills, I've been practicing some imagery, I've applied what I learned in grad school to my training and also competition. So I realized at critical moment, I really uh, handle those stress and anxiety a little bit better than my opponent. So for example, uh, I talk about the North America team championship. Last year, I, when we played the finals, I was the last person on my team playing against the opponent team. Mm-hmm. So we were tied 2-2 and the last game, I. Maybe I was, I'm biased now, but I felt like I actually handled that stress and anxiety a little bit better to be more consistent mm-hmm. than my opponent. Because like to, at that, let's say in football, basketball, that last minute, or in tennis, in um, table tennis, in the last set or last game of the whole match, it's not that physical anymore. Like you and your opponent are about the same. It's that psychological tr- uh, aspect of who can keep calm, who can be confident, who can... Um, pull off the last match and last point to win the whole championship. Usually, that's the case. I would say that really helped me quite a bit personally as an athlete. And John, I know you're a big uh, volleyball player. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, how uh, like what's what's your background in volleyball and how has sports psychology helped you? So, um, so I started. Uh, I play like a lot of sports until I was like ten, and then mm-hmm. uh, in Brazil, seasons work a lot different than uh, than in US. So, um, any season is the whole year. Mm-hmm. So I basically specialized in volleyball when I was ten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I started playing volleyball, and I never stopped. And season goes, um, you know, February through December. So it's like basically your whole life. <laughs> Is, is, is January like the winter season in Brazil or? January is the, the summer season, oh, it's the right? Summer. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yep, yep, yep. So it's our summer break is like December through February. Mm-hmm. And then school starts end of February after Carnival, right? Right. So you get like a month and then you're right back to it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, two months. Okay. You know, beginning of December, classes end. And then end of February, sometimes beginning of March, uh, classes come back. Um, but season goes like that too. So e- sometimes even you know before classes start, you're already playing a- a- again with your team. Um, and uh, so I think now uh, in US is like this too with the travel teams and teams and everything. But the clubs are the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the stronger level you play, and then. Uh, so I play club since um, you know ten to eleven, um, and uh, I play I play like in Brazil we have this um, 
So you can play for the state and play a national championship representing your state. So I play representing my state. Um, I went to like trials of the youth Brazilian national team, but I never got like to the final <laughs> cut of the 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 team. Um, but like I, you know, I play with a lot of people who now play professionally, play mm -hmm. for the national team. The other day, this boy who played for the, he was like two years younger. He got elected the best liberal in the mm -hmm. world. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but, um, but I think all this intensity of uh, playing like the whole year for until like I graduated high school. When I finished high school, I was like, I don't want to see <laughs> volleyball in front of me again. And then I, and then like, you know, three months later, I was like, okay, I want to play, but I don't want to play like high level because I'm mm -hmm. tired. So I was playing for fun. And then I ended up coming back, you know, to play club when I was in, in college because club is still stronger than college right. volleyball. Um, and then, uh, so I played co uh, club for a year and it was super stressful to do college and club at the same time. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm done with that. <laughs> and, uh, so I played college the rest of the time, which was less stressful. And, and then I've been like playing here and there with like some random teams, sometimes with people who just like play on the weekends mm -hmm. here in Green Bay is very difficult. People somehow like to play uh sand volleyball mm -hmm. in the, like the coldest place <laughs> in the country i don't understand well, no volleyball actually <laughs> well, there's like a 15 minute window in the year where you could play beach volleyball and it would be warm <laughs> yeah but they do they so they play at the bar yeah uh so i was playing the summer league there at the bar and it's fun um but it's not my favorite i still prefer hardcore volleyball uh, i haven't found any place so in the last two years and a bit i played like the summer league and that was it um but so i would say like i i definitely got a lot of learning from the psychological as aspects of like that period that i play you know from um 10 to 17 um and then back you know in club in, in when i was 18 um when i was in college you know playing college i uh, started to learn more about sports about sports psychology so i would test different things uh when i was playing um Living in Finland, I play like this regional league mm -hmm. um, and I would also like, you know, practice imagery, tasks like, you know, using breathing here or, you know, trying to play with some things I was learning and it was fun. But um, at the same time, like I, I don't care so much about competing yeah. anymore. Like I don't, I, I'm not willing to put, you know, the work of like playing high level. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not going to put the hours. So I just, I just play for fun. And um, so Right now, it's not so much challenging that I use, like, I use my sports size skills to, like, to focus and, like, focus on my serve and passing and everything, but it's not like I have a bunch of pressure <laughs> in the mm -hmm. first place, so... Um, so yeah, so I think I would say the the time that I played around with more skills the most was, like, college and master's um, time. Yeah, Jenna actually brought up a good point about using sports psycho psychological skills in daily life also. So mm -hmm. I think um, as faculty here, you know, we, we may have some stress teaching, research. So we use those skills to handle our own stress level also. Definitely. And also concentration, <laughs> you know, because a lot of time I will have like 10 things in my mind that I, I think about I need to do, but then, okay, how do I concentrate only mm -hmm. one task mm -hmm. at a right. time so yes. that I can get that done productively? Yeah. Yes, yes. So, and that's a really interesting idea that, that you can take this outside of this. So I want to talk about some of those tactics you use, mm -hmm. okay? You keep mentioning this, uh, this idea of imagery. So um, tell me about imagery uh, and, and what that is and how you would use that in the sports psychology field to train players. So I can first speak about my experience. So I actually mm -hmm. started using it, I think when I was 10 and 11 years old, without realizing it. Mm -hmm. So actually, my one of my coaches, I, I followed him for a couple of years when... I was in my teenage, so he told me the night before we played the competition, um, he would ask me to visualize what would, would be happening the next day. Mm -hmm. Visualize your game, your serve, your best tactics. Mm -hmm. So I at, started from that point, every single tournament that I play, I would close my eyes and imagine, okay, next day when I play the tournament, what kind of serve I'm gonna use. If my opponent respond uh, with Top spin, back spin, uh, to my left, to my right, mm -hmm. how I'm going to uh, use my tactics against him um, that way. But more systematically now, since I have the knowledge, what I would do even a little bit more is visualizing the exact venue. So think about the venue that I play, the lighting. I would 
not just visualize, but try mm-hmm. to imagine the sound. So we talk about different senses, not just visual, but so mm-hmm. also auditory. Mm-hmm. Um, some sports psychology also like to talk about like taste or smell if they apply to your sport, um, like the smell <laughs> of the grass. Or, I was going to say, because I'm right. thinking about smells really <laughs> in sports. <laughs> right. Like. right, yeah. Yeah, so I would try my best to really put myself in the real competition situation. Right. And if I know my opponent, I would visualize him, sometimes her, you know, really... Uh, clearly how he or she play and then all the tactics, all the strategy, every single thing that would go on mm-hmm. um, in that competition, I would try to visualize that. And then working with athletes, I mostly work with track and field and volleyball players would be similarly when um, they're in the locker room getting ready. You know, It's not only before competition, actually, but also before practice, how they were going to give 100% effort and how they mm-hmm. handle different challenges on that day. So that's something I um, did with athlete uh, that I work with very regularly. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much every single athlete, I've done some imagery with them. Okay. Um, what other tactics would you use uh, in, in sports psychology? Like what are some of the other kind of things? So imagery, you know, visualization, I can see that being really, really effective. But what other things would you potentially use? What else is in the toolkit? Well, definitely use um, uh, deep breathing. So that's uh, something that it's kind of similar to um, physical skills that if you are uh, regular, regularly do, practicing mm-hmm. some deep breathing, uh, you get better at relaxing through your breathing. Um, and it helps with uh, anxiety, right? But also, so as I forgot to mention, I did play like one semester of club volleyball at WVU when I was starting mm-hmm. my PhD. Uh, and I was like a lot more out of shape, right? <laughs> so getting older and, uh, but it helps also because you have like a mix of being tired mm-hmm. and also being anxious because mm-hmm. it's a competition. So, uh, the breathing out a little bit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it helps a little bit. So, because, um, it's not only cause like if you're taking an exam, for example, if you're taking GRE, right. Mm-hmm. Or SATs, you, you get anxious and it's hard to think. Uh, but then if you're playing is not only that you get like tense muscles you lose your accuracy so uh you may even like shake a little bit which is not good for playing right it's it's physical so breathing helps it's a easy thing that you can insert in almost any sport Mm -hmm. uh some sports is more like you know rifle shooting you have to be really really stable to shoot well so uh it's very important skill for that sport for example yeah uh yeah it's a lot of just breathing in breathing out Mm -hmm. uh you know because i remember i'm learning how to fire a weapon or fire a gun when i was a kid that was like a lot of things it's a lot of breathing and just making sure like you're you're stable and kind of centered Mm -hmm. um so what other branches of psychology are really, really sort of prevalent in the field is, you know, because we have like, you know, there's a kind of operant psychology and that kind of stuff. Um, are there any kind of like more classical branches of psychology that really play a role in what you do? Um, I would say, especially for me, social psychology, mm-hmm. because I'm interested in motivation. Mm-hmm. So there's um, quite a bit boring from social psychology about the motivation. Um, the theory that I, I use is called self-determination theory. Uh, talking about everybody have three everybody has three basic psychological needs mm-hmm. um, they are autonomy competence and relatedness so autonomy means um, you feel freedom or feel you have choices of doing something mm-hmm. you feel controlled um, and then competence means you feel like you're good at something Mm-hmm. And then relatedness means you feel a sense of belonging or connectedness mm-hmm. in that setting. So in athletics uh, would be if an athlete feel that um, he have volition, he have choices in practice, in competition, he feel that he, he's good at it, or he or she um, mm-hmm. uh, have really connection with the coaches, with the team, then he or she would be more likely to be intrinsically motivated to play sports. So that would be a little bit different than the psychological skills that we just talked about, but that's the motivation piece that mm-hmm. social psychology really play a role uh, into it. Mm-hmm. I think also uh, cognitive psychology mm-hmm. plays an important role, although we still have to do a better job, I think, of uh, learning more about cognitive psychology. I think some people here are doing well. I think in Asia, a lot of people do good work with uh, what we know from cognitive psychology, but we could do better. Uh, a lot more people doing biofeedback, so, you know, training. So basically you get 
feedback from your body mm-hmm. <laughs> of how you're doing and then you can train yourself of like using that deep breathing for example to uh bring down your your um the signs in your body that you're feeling anxious so mm-hmm. you basically practice that having that feedback of like okay your heart is beating like this right now and your breathing is you know getting mm-hmm. uh, slower as you, you you know you're you're doing this exercise and um so so that's i think another important one and we did mention you know the more the mental health related mm-hmm. okay, you know we the clinical and even if you're not doing you know clinical sports psychology you still we're boring a lot boring <laughs> we are uh, borrowing mm-hmm. a lot from them like of the strategies of, you know di- using deep breathing to calm yourself down is highly used for like you know clinical anxiety as well you know um, important skill if you even if you're like uh, dealing with uh, maybe depression that has some insomnia you know you can do like uh, relaxation activity to fall asleep right yeah, yeah those are the probably the biggest uh few branches that we use quite a bit and Brian you asked, asked a really good question because if you ask five different sports psychologists <laughs> yeah. they may give you a little bit different answer depending on the specialty because right. sports psychology to many people it seems very specialized but mm-hmm. then within sports psychology there are actually still many different aspects of it that people focus on mm-hmm. like the physiological part clinical part counseling part mm-hmm. um, and uh, the social part of it Yep. So uh, the World Series coming up, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, we've been trying to get you, uh, get, get all this together for probably about a year and a half. I think I've been saying, <laughs> look, hey, Jana, Alan, let's, let's talk about sports psychology, and finally just got together. And uh, the big reason why is the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is going to be starting up, uh, we're recording this on Friday the 18th. I believe the games actually start on the 22nd. Um, so as, as a... Uh, alluded to at the top, I don't know who is going to be in the thing at this point. Um, like when you, when you, it's probably going to be, but again, um, you know, like whoever I said at the top, that's who it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing that I find interesting about this, and, and John, when we were setting this up, uh, you and I kind of talked in the hallway sort of quickly about this, is that uh, there's as a, as a game, it's hard to find a sport that is maybe more defined by psychology than baseball. Um, you, you think about how every game is sort of this battle of wits between the pitcher and the hitter. Like, what is the hitter going? What is the pitcher going to do in this moment? Do I lay off? Do I swing? And of course, the hitter or the pitcher is trying to think. Okay, this guy is swinging at everything. I can maybe I throw a, a ball. He might chase it. Um, if I kind of like mix it up and have him think like, okay, I, this guy seems to have no rhyme or reason to what he's doing. I can kind of throw him off his game. Um, do I just decide I don't want to deal with this guy at all? There's a lot of kind of psychology that goes into this, right? Yes. Um, and arguably that's what makes the sport so compelling is mm-hmm. that, uh, but the other thing you mentioned that was, that was really kind of interesting and, uh, and kind of also, I, we'd had a, a discussion about this in some of the, uh, the meetings I'd been in for like the, the, the teaching programs and all that, that I do, mm-hmm. uh, is this idea about the failure growth mindset mm-hmm. in, in, in baseball. And I think this kind of applies to a lot of things, not just in sports psychology and sports, uh, but you know, just life in general, mm-hmm. you know, where, uh, if you're an amazing hitter. If you're an amazing baseball player, you are successful maybe 40% of the time, maybe. And that's incredible. Like that is Hall of Fame numbers if you fail six out of 10 times. Yes. <laughs> um, how do you as a sports psychologist recommend training for something where there is this high likelihood of failure? Like you are essentially trying to hit this little tiny thing that is coming at you at 120 miles per hour. Um, how do you train for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. There, There's not like you know, one way to train is like a bunch of things that you have to do. And it's definitely go through like the mindset you have. You definitely cannot be attached to like the, you know, this outcome that Mm -hmm. I'm having right now. Otherwise you're going to be out, (laughs) you're mentally out of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people who work with baseball talk talk about trust, right? So you have to, of course, do a good job prep preparing right if you put the work to prepare well and you mm-hmm. and you can trust your game um then when you get there what you have to do at that level right mlb you have to like not think if you mm-hmm. think you're screwed <laughs> if you think too much like when you i mean of course you have to think of like you know strategies and mm-hmm. everything but when it's time to like go um to the bad you you, you kind of have to not to right <laughs> at that level uh of course i i know you mentioned also that you have some difficulties when you're in well, the so, video so game here's what i'm going to ask like because uh <laughs> when i'm when i'm stepping up to the plate and I'm going to swing the bat and I'm going to do this virtually because I have no hand-eye coordination. So I'm doing this on the PlayStation. I'm playing MLB The Show. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten better. 
Um, but I will still swing at stuff that kind of looks like it's going to be in my area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still have the tendency to be like, I want to at least make contact with this thing to try to keep this not even this, this picture's not even real. I don't know what my goal is here. <laughs> Um, but it comes down to the question of like discipline and, and waiting it out and patience, right? And I think that's those are hard virtues to instill in anybody, let alone a professional athlete. So if I'm trying to work and say I want to get better, you know, and, and, and you know, let's take this out of the realm of the video game for a second. But if I'm trying to get better at just like developing that discipline, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait this out and see where this goes, and then I'm going to make, I'm going to take my chance. Um, how do you do that? How do you dis- How do you like instill discipline in somebody? So, but I'm I'm gonna make a comment. Uh, so yeah. just because um, the different levels are, are are not are not the same, so they're different. So if you're learning, it's uh-huh. very different than if you're like a professional athlete mm-hmm. at bat. Um, for a professional level, with the speed of the ball, mm-hmm. you you don't have. You know, you cannot decide. You kind of have to let your body decide. What it's they like call instinctual mem- more. Yeah. Right. yeah so yeah. basically, um, at the time that the pitcher is releasing, like just from the cues of like mm-hmm. hand and the ball and everything mm-hmm. else, um, before the ball, you know, gets out of the pitcher's um, mm-hmm. hand, um, the person at bat already has to know what they're going to mm-hmm. do. And of course, they don't consciously know, but yeah. it's just so many thousands right. you know millions of repetitions they've done in life mm-hmm. uh that they can do this without thinking so um so for in their case it wouldn't be so much a case of discipline because if they try to control they're gonna mm-hmm. get screwed they're gonna, they're not gonna get to even like the the point three right <laughs> um but then in your case <laughs> yeah so yeah. help fix my life because <laughs> so it's just uh there's research that shows that it's different if you're learning and if you're an expert in something so it's kind Kind of like a little bit of um, um, expertise of Alan too. So the modern learning part of it. So when you're learning how to do a skill, you have to think more, and then you're gonna fail more, mm-hmm. and you're gonna have those bad decisions more. But then you have to do that a lot of times until it gets more automatic, and you get to the point that you don't have to think about it mm-hmm. anymore. So um, you know, so like if I'm playing volleyball and I'm having like this really great day, I'm like in the flow. <laughs> you know that that moment that you don't really have to think you kind of just do um i can like move to whatever i have to defend the ball without thinking oh i have to move there like i just know that i have to be there mm-hmm. um so so it's different you know if you're a beginner you know you're playing like youth uh, baseball and you're learning how to do that or mm-hmm. if you're like a professional you've done this like a million times and you just have to let your body d- does it so i think the discipline there will be in you know, trusting yourself, like try not to think and just let your your body does right. does do let your body do what what it knows how to. Right. Yeah. I think Brian, you mentioned the point is probably more about anticipation. Right? Yeah. Is yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing about a little bit more about cognitive and physical training that require to get to a higher level. Mm-hmm. But um, another thing could potentially be helpful that I sometimes do with athlete. If you think that you cannot really control certain things. Um, an activity I, I like to do with athletes is control the controllables. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the really famous baseball sports psychologists, uh, Ken Rivisa, mm-hmm. uh, is his name. He actually passed last year. Oh. Um, he's a legend in, in this area. Uh, he actually worked with a lot of baseball players on control, control the controllable, which means before you go in, um, before you bat or before you pitch, um, make sure you know what you can control and what you can control. So you cannot control the outcome, you cannot control your opponent, but you can control the process. So you can control everything that is most important to you at that moment. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the crowd, don't worry about your opponent, don't worry about other things. Um, that will probably help you be at your best. Mm-hmm. Although it that requires you to have a high level in order to still mm-hmm. do really well you know, at the end. But I think that's one activity that will help athletes uh, be able to Think less about um, distraction and just focus on whatever they need to do, the mm-hmm. task at hand. Let me, because you know, the, the idea of uh, repeated and kind of controlling things you can control and, and doing this over and over again, um, that's part of why I've never been particularly good at sports is I don't really have the ability to practice a lot. Um, there's other more pressing reasons as well. Um, but uh, the question I have, so there's this weird phenomenon you see sometimes with athletes called the yips, where you do this mm-hmm. a million times and then all of a sudden you just stop being able to do it. And 
my understanding, and I'm, I also am not as nearly read up on the literature as you, is that we don't really know why this happens, right? How do you handle stuff like that? Yeah, so that's very interesting. Um, so the yips, uh, for the longest time, people thought that was just psychological, but there's now some research showing that there are two different types of yips, and mm-hmm. some are more physiological. So you just do that same movement so many times that your, like, basically your body doesn't, you know, do well anymore. Um, and then, you know, maybe you have to change your swing, you know, to kind of be able to recover. Um, but then there's also the psychological, like there's no physiological, um, you know, reason for you to having the yips and you still have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like people very, like very specialized on the yips and, uh, and some people never, even if they visit all this, <laughs> this number of specialists, they cannot, um, you know, overcome. Um, and then some, you know, maybe like after 10 years, you know, kind of come back. Uh, I'm trying to remember now the name of the guy that I saw that, you know, it was actually something like that. He was like actually 10 years he was able to, he he changed a little bit his speech, uh, but he also changed like mindset. So he basically tried to change everything um, and he was like being more successful again, but uh, but yeah, so it's, it's even for the people who are <laughs> very like knowledgeable knowledgeable about it, um, it still um, it holds a, a lot of mystery. Um, so there is, of course, like you know, the, the trying to um, control too much and mm-hmm. you know focusing on um, you know outcomes a lot mm-hmm. and you know not not being able to let go you know the past and and sometimes you know when you think when you think you have a problem then mm-hmm. you have a problem kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it's a mix of um, you know complex mix of uh, different things, but we still have more things to learn about yeah. it. Is there right. such a thing as over practicing? Um. Yes and no. I think it, <laughs> I think it really depending on the sports and depending on um, the outcome that you want to see. Um, so what I mean is that, for example, in swimming um, or in some other endurance sport, usually you need a little bit tapering because physiologically you just cannot handle that high intensity training um, the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that's why people who run a marathon that's like a training program, they start out with less mileage and then more mileage. And then the last week, you know, you don't really run that much mm-hmm. so that you don't get that over practice, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, that your body cannot handle the real marathon that you mm-hmm. need to run. I think it's same for some other sport that require um, a little bit of a break from high intensity training, mm-hmm. like streaming that I talk about. So that would be why, uh, man, you know, yes and no, probably um, you should practice quite a bit if you are really at the high level, mm-hmm. but then um, before the competition, you would need, need a break for you to do well. Okay. Um, so I have a question here from a Twitter user. I, I put out the question, if you could ask a sports psychologist anything, what would you ask? And mm-hmm. so um, shout out to listener slash Twitter friend David Lebo. That's at Leboism. And I apologize if I got your name wrong, David. Um he wanted to know who is more to blame for kids pushing themselves too hard. Is it coaches or parents? And 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 apparently the the impetus was this uh, actually had something to do with Michael Phelps, where um, his sister was supposed to be another big swimmer. She got injured, and both the po- coaches and the parents kind of blamed each other. Um, at least that's the way uh, he explained it. Um, so I know Alan, this is an area that you're particularly focused on. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I actually blame the system. I would mm-hmm. say, yeah. Um, I mean, it probably involves, yeah. yeah, the culture. I probably involve parents, coaches, different personnel a little bit. But you know, thinking about when I was young, you know, I never thought about only playing one sport. I mm-hmm. play all different sports. There were many opportunities. But nowadays, what I see is that there's travel team, there's club team. There are so many different types of team and mm-hmm. so many athletes, youth athletes, they start playing only one sport every single day when mm-hmm. they are at the age of 12 or 13. And from the developmental standpoint, we know that just burn youth athlete out and mm-hmm. that both physically and emotionally really, really hard for them. So I would mm-hmm. say that is because uh, probably a little bit of parents, they really want their kid to get scholarship to go to college mm-hmm. or uh, get to the Olympic teams or whatever outcome that they want their um kids to achieve i mean the intention is good but mm-hmm. that's probably not the best way to to push them to be at their best um, but also coaches seem to be really really demanding also at a very young age um you know want them to 
play travel team, want them to practice every single day versus when I was younger. I remember my table tennis coach would tell me, would tell me, hey, you can play some badminton, you know, mm-hmm. play some soccer, go do some cross training, you know, have mm-hmm. fun and come back and, you know, do better in the next season or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, versus just every single day. And I interviewed, I interviewed 40 athletes, uh, high school athletes when I was in Texas doing my dissertation and a lot of them just felt like a lot of um, pressure from both parents and coaches, especially the football athlete, as you know, in mm-hmm. Texas, you know, mm-hmm. football is like the church or everything. Uh-huh, you know? yeah. uh-huh. So it's, it's just, <laughs> the- yeah, it just bring them out so, so poorly. And like a few of them ne- told me they never want to do any football, anything like f- mm-hmm. for fun, football for fun again, you know, just they can't see the fun in football anymore. Yeah, yeah I remember, uh, you know, not long after I moved to U.S., um, I started watching Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. and I was like, this cannot be real. And people were like, no, that's how it is in Texas. Yeah, I, I think that's actually like uh, they're, they're underselling it, if anything. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. based on a real in small time, yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was shocked. I was like, "What? A high school team has like you have your name in the, the outside of your house? That's how you know famous you are." But I guess I should have guessed. Like once I wanted to see a final of a world championship, a volleyball world championship. It was Brazil against US. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, like US is in there. They're gonna have to broadcast. And I went through like all ESPNs and like all sports channels. I had and they had everything they had like high school uh, football they had even like a cheerleading championship and no you know final of the world championship of volleyball so I could see that okay like you know high school football is still a priority over you know Mm -hmm. world championships Um, but yeah I definitely agree uh, with Alan that the culture is is the big thing and I think you know some parents are good some coaches are good and Mm -hmm. some parents are bad (laughs) and some coaches are bad too Um, sometimes you know I know like you know this uh, person who was working with the sports psychology in Texas was saying oh you know this nine year old come here and like you know because the goal is to you know have a scholarship in college but he's feeling nervous about playing it's like at that age, they should be having fun. Right, right. Um, yeah, and the other day, I also saw someone on Twitter. Um, I'm not going to remember um, who he was again. Like, I just see random things. But it was uh, um, a kid who was swinging. And the kid was 10. And people were like, oh, my God, you should know better. Because he was, like, uh, the the kid of, like, a, a professional player or like mm-hmm. former professional player I don't even remember but he, he, people are criticizing the swing of a 10 year old on Twitter uh, and I'm like okay you're not supposed to be you know technically perfect when you're 10 you're supposed to be having fun right. um, so people get lost uh, <laughs> a little bit and you know and if you look at, at the stats of how many are gonna actually get a, mm-hmm. a scholarship in college it's really not encouraging it's not worth all that stress that they put on their kids and it's actually more likely to get that you're going to get a scholarship for um you know academic merit Uh than sports but people just it's you know it's just cultural to emphasize uh sports so much so yeah so sometimes you know parents um you know get a little bit too hard mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes coaches think that is you know the more practice the better they don't you know even think about temp- tapering or you know how it's gonna affect uh, well-being and physical um you know abilities even uh if you if you're doing too much my last thought is that social media you know power player role mm-hmm. they're just more social comparison mm-hmm. um you know when parents see other kids successful they want their kid to be that successful also mm-hmm. and want them to push themselves the hardest and you know, kids can embrace whatever their parents tell them sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. So as educators, because we're all educators in the room here, and you, you look at like, you know, the college athletics and, and high school athletics and that kind of stuff, and, you know, we sell these as educational activities, right? You are there in part to, you're, you're making a face at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I promise I'm getting to something here. But, no, no, I'm making a face like, hmm. 
yeah, that's that's gonna be juicy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and so spinning off this question, I mean, you know, if, if we are trying to position these as educational activities, right? How can we strike that balance between, hey, this is a thing you are doing to learn character, to learn, uh, you know, teamwork, to become physically fit. And this is a thing you are learning so you can go to college. This is a thing you're learning so you can actually play in the professionals, go to, go to the Olympics, that kind of stuff. Like, there's got to be some kind of happy medium. Yeah, so so I think... I think, honestly, a place that I think we have a happy medium is like here at UWGB. I think mm-hmm. they have a good balance of being a student and being an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the same in like some places where there are some big conferences, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like the the Power Five. Your SECs conference. and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, especially if you're playing football and men's basketball, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I know of cases of like someone like oh i want to you know major in engineering but oh no you're a football player you don't have time for that choose yeah. another major um there's also like all those scandals of um you know fake classes mm-hmm. that people get fake you know fake grades and um with all this um so i think sometimes people do a good job of uh using sports as an educational and you know good experience that you learn important values for life um, and I, I think anyways, you learn some important values, but sometimes you also have some negative learning experiences out of this, you know, how to cheat, how to learn that you're, you know, more special than other people, uh, and, you know, above the rules. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it's very complex, I think. Uh, and, but I, I would say it definitely depends on where, where you're at. I think, um, here UWGB people try, you know, the administration tries to protect, uh, mm-hmm. athletes time to study. Uh, they definitely have, you know, uh, better rules. I know my husband coach it here and coach it in our places. And, uh, here they protect a lot more the, the mm-hmm. time to study. So they, they couldn't have, cause what they do in big universities is to have like, you know quote-unquote voluntary time things that you have to do because you're supposed to do 20 hours as an athlete but then you have like voluntary video time voluntary Mm -hmm. sports psychology uh voluntary you know it's all in air quotes yes exactly you know voluntary gym time but if you don't go you're out um so basically they do a lot more than 20 hours Mm -hmm. in in some of this um sports in some of the big schools that ends up being like more an athlete than a student and then and, and then sometimes, depending, um, you learn also some values that are not mm-hmm. that great. Yeah, I think at the so, Jenna talk about more like the college level. Um, I think at the youth level, definitely there should be or there can be more educational component into it. You know, I think competition is important. I think kids learn from competition. They learn from lear- uh, winning and also losing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think there need to be a little bit more structure. Um, activity for them to learn leadership or to mm-hmm. learn communication. So instead of just doing it at the sports setting, maybe there could be some workshops, there could be some uh, camps that they go out, they go outdoor, mm-hmm. they do some, um, what's the term that people use? Like they would um, kind of like some obstacles that like they... Like a team building or a ropes course? Yeah, ropes course, yeah, something like those. I did a lot of those actually in my... Um, middle school and high school experience so I think those are the so you still work with your sport team but you work with sport team outside of that normal Mm -hmm. sport setting to actually learn teamwork and learn about communication and all those things because that would reduce the pressure of winning and and losing you know Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually enjoy having fun um, but they also learn some useful skills that they can take it with their their whole life I I think there's nothing wrong with sport being professional if Mm -hmm. Um, kids at one point they decide for themselves I think as soon as they decide for themselves this is what they want yep. not parent pushing them I think that's okay at 15, 16 year old okay now I want sport I want, want to play only one sport and I dedicate all my time into it if mm-hmm. that's their decision that's okay but I think uh, until not until then you know we should give them as much opportunity as many different experiences as possible and make it really educational rather than just about winning and losing X and O's yeah. okay um, so I want to talk real quick about, uh, and we're kind of getting to the sort of like the back end of the show here. Um, so I want to talk very quickly, um, not only about the program 
that you all have put together, but also kind of the professional demand uh, for sports psychology. We've alluded to it uh, kind of throughout the, the, the show here so far. Um, so let's start off with the, what kind of role is sports psychology playing at the professional level? Is this something that teams are investing in? Are they getting uh, sports psychologists on their payroll? That kind of thing. Uh, how serious are pro sports now taking psychology? It depends on the sport. So it's interesting since it's a, you know, World Series theme mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, uh, baseball is the, the professional league that, you know, is growing the fastest mm-hmm. there because it's a very mental game. I think golf traditionally has always used a lot, but then it's like more each mm-hmm. athlete kind of working with their own uh, sports psychology consultant. Um, but then the MLB, they not only have on their main major leagues, they are hiring a lot of people to work with their minor leagues and prepare them to go up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's uh, among the professional teams. I think it's the one growing the fastest. Um, but I, yeah, I've been seeing some, uh, more openings also with uh, basketball, um, some, even like some soccer teams, uh, in the MLS, uh, hiring more sports psychology consultants. Um, I, I think in general, NFL usually has like one person sometimes, you know, sometimes not even like a full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super excited that, you know, next week we're going to be at, at the ASP conference, like Alan mentioned, and um, the Seahawks uh, sports psychologist is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, I always say his last name wrong. <laughs> Mike. Is right, yeah, Mike, yeah. Yeah, Gervais. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I never learned. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they created a nice culture there with the Seahawks. Um, so that that's exciting. But there is a lot more, I think, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I think it's slowly growing everywhere. Yeah, I think at the collegiate level, that's been a pretty big growth. Mm-hmm. I think when I started my master's about eight years ago, there were probably a handful of sports psychologists at NCAA Division One level. But I think now that's probably close than half, if not more um, schools in the NCAA Division One level have a sport psychologist on, ta- uh, on staff. Mm-hmm. So it's not like me and Jenna like professors working for psychology department, but maybe we also work with athletes. They are actually uh, dedicated working at the athletic department every single day seeing athletes. So I think that's a really good sign. Um, some schools even have more than one. For yeah. example, Ohio State, Ohio they have State. four. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, mm-hmm. they have, I think, two or three mm-hmm. at the least. Uh, I'd say that there's a, that's a big complex over at Oklahoma. I'm sure they got a lot of them <laughs> running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a, a lot of growth and um, and also interestingly, beyond sport, uh, actually military is the biggest mm. uh, employer of sports psychologists. Really? Yeah. You know, in sport, if we are not focused, we are not confident, we may, we may lose the match. But, you know, in military, you can you know, lose the battle, you can lose your life. So it's mm-hmm. definitely even imp- more important for them to use psychological skills to keep, keep them calm and keep them focused. Yeah. That's very interesting. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Um, all right, so of course there's professional opportunities here, which brings us to uh, the sports psychology master's program. So this is a big splashy thing. You uh, you, you unveiled this. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of ink around here, mm-hmm. um, and by ink I mean it was you know I, I, it's in so much as we print things anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, tell me a bit about this program, and if you're a prospective student, because we might have one listening to this, and they're hearing about all these cool things, how is this program going to help them get to these par- get to this point? What kind of things are they going to do in the program? That kind stuff yeah so we are very excited about it uh, so we we decided to have uh, two different tracks in our program because uh, i think there's a lot of demand for people who want to work you know do more applied work work with athletes or maybe with the military or even other um, types of performers um, more people are working also with um, you know musicians and um, you know uh, I there are people working with like circus mm-hmm. uh, performers as well and yeah, a lot of business people you know working on their mindset goal setting you know how to plan their careers and perform well you know psychologically as well in their their business or you know public speech and so on um, so we decided to have an applied track and then a thesis track. So mm-hmm. people who want to maybe have uh, work with athletes or other performers um, on a daily basis, uh, the applied track will be a good 
fit. And then the thesis track is for um, people who are really into research and then maybe potentially, you know, want to pursue a PhD or even like a PsyD in the future that will make them a stronger applicant if they have a thesis. Um, we also have the possibility of doing a double track, but then it will take more than the mm-hmm. two years because it's a lot of work <laughs> to get both of those done. Um, but we are also open to that, to students who are interested in both uh, tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some um, pretty unique uh, feature about the program is that we offer all the courses that they would need uh, in order for them to uh, put, to be on track to get the CMPC, so the mm-hmm. Certified Mental Performance consultant certification that me and Jenna have. Um, So what that means is that they would take classes from eight different areas that um, sports psychology really emphasize. So not only sports psychology, but also sports science, different area of psychology that we we mentioned, like the physiological cognitive part, uh, the social part. So they're basically learning uh, those different psychological principles through taking those courses. Um, And this is not always the case for other schools, um, for especially in a kinesiology or sports science department. They don't offer that many psych- psychology courses for students to take to be on track for that. So I think that's a pretty unique feature of our planning of the curriculum and our program so far. Okay. Well, gosh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, it's, uh, I, it's, I've learned a lot over this last hour. Uh, so I want to thank you both for being here. Uh, if folks want to check out your work um, or, or interact with you, uh, is, do you have like a social media presence? Uh, is there anything you want to promote or plug or anything like that? So I personally don't have Twitter yet. Um, so usually you can it's find... It's probably a good idea. Not to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so you... You can find my information. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, type Alan Chu, UWGB will find me. Um, and then if you're interested in some of my publications about motivation, you can go to ResearchGate, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, kind of like a social media for researchers, I guess. <laughs> um, and then um, Google Scholar, you can find my publication there. Um, okay. If not, I would love to have you email me and you know, ask me about my um, personal or professional experience. I would be happy to talk to you about it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not a super fan of Twitter, but I unfortunately now manage three different accounts. <laughs> so I have my personal one, with, with, which is Jana underscore LF, because my last name is uh, Lima Fogasse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my personal one. I'm also managing the, the program's um Twitter. Uh, I have to get better at doing like more tweets from there, but uh, it's UWGB underscore SEPP, uh, which is Sport Exercise and Performance Psychology. Um, and then I have uh, also my private practice company. So the, nom- the name is uh, Get Ahead Mental Performance. <laughs> I've been going through like 14 different pens over here. <laughs> so Alan helped me out here. So I'm sorry. Uh, what is that? Uh- What's that one? That one, uh, I want to say is Gia had MP or is it get ahead? I think it's get ahead MP. My email is Gia had. MP. Okay. Get yeah. Ahead MP. Get ahead MP. All right, and I'll I'll, I'll try to I'll try to <laughs> at all these when I put this episode up. All right, um, thanks. So yeah, this has been great. Thank you both for coming on, uh, Dr. Jana Fagasa and at Dr. Alan Chu, uh, sports psychologist extraordinaire. Thank you for being on Serious Fun. It's been a blast. Yeah, yeah thanks thank you. for yeah. having us. Yeah, all that right. was fun. Thanks. Uh, I want to thank Kate Farley uh, at Phoenix Studios. I want to thank our pals at Stitcher for putting this out there. And again, thank you for listening to Serious Fun. And wherever you go, whatever you do, be a good sport. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgv.edu forward slash podcasts.